Welcome to the John Gets Games podcast, where in today's episode, you'll be hearing the audio from a recent Games Radar vlog. In that video, I discussed 26 new games that I've learned about recently, and I do go through them in alphabetical order. Now, I would like to mention, as always, that the reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support coming into the channel through Patreon. Now, you can learn more about that by visiting patreon.com slash Games to see a bunch of ways that you can support the channel. And if you do prefer to listen to these vlogs in podcast form versus watching them on YouTube, then I do hope you would consider supporting the campaign. The last thing I'd like to ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you leave those as a comment on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. All right, let's now start talking about games, and the first one of these is Alhambra the Roll and Write. Now, we are going to be going through the Board Game Geek pages for each one of these games, and this is obviously a Roll and Write version of Alhambra. Now, Alhambra came out in uh, 2003, and it's a tile-laying game that I've never actually played. I've heard a lot about it, but nothing too uh, specific. Now, this appears to be a Roll and Write version of Alhambra, and the details are in the description down here. And I skimmed through this already, and it seems like in this game, you are going to be rolling a couple of dice in front of you while there are a couple of dice in the middle of the table on a sheet with some different buildings. And the options that you have to do with the dice that you rolled depend on the dice that are on the sheet. And you then put, I think, the new dice out and then pull the other dice back so that Every single turn, your options are dependent on where your opponent placed their dice on the previous turn. That's my interpretation of how the description goes. At the moment, there is not uh, a lot of detail as far as the actual gameplay parts of the game. There is an image um, on BoardGameGeek which shows some stuff. There are two different colored dice, so I don't really know much more than that. But I do like Roll and Riot style games, and I'm always curious to learn about what mechanical tweak or innovation each individual Roll and Riot style game is hopefully bringing to the uh, overall genre. If I find out that this actually isn't as interesting as that sounded, then I might just walk away from this one. But as of this moment, I am definitely interested in learning more. It looks like it's relatively quick, 30 to 45 minutes for one to five players, which seems uh, very much in line with most Roll and Riot style games. All right, we can now move on to Anno 1800. Now, this one jumped out to me for a couple of reasons. The first reason is the designer is Martin Wallace. Now, he is a very famous and very prolific board game designer. Uh, Brass is one of his most famous games, as well as uh, Age of Steam. Uh, and uh, this appears to be a video game-themed style game that does have some brass uh, stylings. Now, I am not familiar with the video game Anno 1800, which is, I think, or assume what it's called, but this says it's based in the Renaissance. And the description down below says, that in this game, uh, there are ship fleets that allow for a lively trade and the development of new islands in the old and new world. You have to fulfill the wishes of your own population, and uh, the inhabitants are initially satisfied with simple things like bread and clothing, but soon they want more valuable luxury goods. So you have to plan production chains sensibly, and you have to keep an eye out on specialization of your population. You also have to pay attention to your opponents and what they are doing. So I am enjoying uh, various logistics style games more as time goes on, and I really like Brass. So that is enough for me to be quite interested in this. Uh, and another reason I, it jumped out to me is because it's published by Cosmos, and they do good stuff. They, they are definitely a good uh, uh, quality uh, publisher. I, I like the stuff that they make. So I'm looking forward to learning more about this one. There actually is quite a bit more details on BGG. There's some uh, 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 forum links that I've already clicked through, and there's a lot of information in raw text about how the game works. But my head was kind of swimming trying to figure out how it actually made sense without any images because right now they just have an image of the box cover so i'm waiting for
for something a little bit more visual to pop up on BoardGameGeek, but I'm quite interested. Um, it does say that it has a 120-minute playing time, which is on the long side for the usual type of games I like to play, but Brass is that long for me anyway, and I do like Brass, so yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to learning more about this one. All right, next up we have Blatterrauschen, which is German. <laughs> I'm not actually sure what that uh, means, but uh, the reason this one jumped out to me is, again, the publisher is Cosmos, and they make good stuff, and the publisher, the designer is Paolo Mori. Now, he has designed some pretty interesting stuff, uh, like, I believe, Libertalia, uh, Ethnos, Vasco da Gama, uh, Pandemic, Fall of Rome, uh, Rise of Augustus, and apparently, you know, 30 total games on Board King Geek. So he's definitely done a lot of stuff. And I really liked Libertalia. Uh, so looking at this one, this says that it is a roll and back game. So it's the second one of those we're t uh, learning about today. And there's not much in the way of specifics. There's no images on Board Game Geek. It just says, um, realistically, what? Three sentences. It says, for every season, spring, summer, autumn, and winter, there is a themed game sheet with different rules. The numbers on the dice reveal the side lengths of the area marked on the game sheet. In this area, a force symbol is selected that is included in the scoring. Whoever collects the most points wins. So I don't know if you're like me, but only one of those sentences, or I guess two of those sentences made sense to me. Uh, okay, we have different seasons and they have different rules and whoever's the most points wins. Those central uh, sentences I think would make a lot more sense with some images and they don't even have mechanics listed beyond uh, roll and write. So I'd like to learn more about it. The designer uh, designs good stuff. Uh, I am uh, continually fascinated by uh, uh, innovations in the roll and write sphere as I've already talked about. And uh, yeah, I think there could be some cool stuff going on here. It says it's two to six players and it doesn't even have a running time right now. But uh, the uh, the caption up at the top says you roll and write through all four seasons. So that could be kind of neat. Having four games in one that kind of wrap together to have just one winner at the end. That's a that's a cool idea. And hopefully there'll be more uh, specifics of that soon, considering it is listed as a 2020 game. All right, moving on, we have Brick and Border. Now, I believe this one was recently renamed. It was called Bodega before that. And uh, the reason I know about this game is because they actually uh, reached out to me about making a uh, tutorial video for it. Uh, at this point, it looks like that is going to happen. It's not fully, completely finalized, but it looks like it's probably going to happen. Uh, so let's take a look down here. And yeah, it does say formally Bodega. Now it says, this is an unforgiving game of narrow margins, player-based uncertainty, and tense decisions. Over a series of rounds, two to four players are going to manage a collection of stores, trying to maximize profit, build equity, and undercut the competition amid a fickle market that can change on the whim of their opponents. Now, I've actually read through um, the rules for this game, or at least a prototype version, and it seems like what you're doing in this game is you are building out little shops that can hold uh, different types of goods, and then each round you are going to play a supply card and a demand card, and the supply cards will essentially be mixed in with all the other supply cards everybody chooses, and that's the amount of stuff that people can uh, take in that round, and then people are going to essentially uh, bid on buying those different resources in a single phase uh, blind bid, and then the demand cards will be flipped up, and those are the products that people can actually sell back, and again, there could be uh, bidding for the, the sell price there if there is uh, more demand than there is actually items to be fulfilling it. Um, there's more to it than that. It looks like a pretty neat system overall, and like I said, I, I uh, have agreed to do a video for it. It's just 90% there, not quite 100%. So it's very likely I'll be doing something for this and I'll know even more about it once I get the prototype. I did skim through the rules, but I didn't get through all of the nitty gritty uh, details. Uh, I just saw enough to be interested in working with it. Uh, now we can see up here that's being published by Octoraph Games, which I think is a first time publisher at this point, um, but they do have some images up on BGG right now uh, to show what this looks like. And uh, yeah, it looks like it's coming together well. 
All right, let's move on to the next game, and this is Carnegie. Now, the designer is Xavier Georges, and he was part of the team that put together Trois and uh, Carson City and Black Angel and many other games. Uh, now, it's being published by Quinnick Games, and the artist is Ian O'Toole, so um, those are two uh, big pluses as far as I'm concerned as well. And in this game, it seems like it's a 90-minute or so game where you have to become an important businessman and benefactor, and um, it's effectively modeled after Andrew Carnegie, who was an incredible successful um, uh, steel industry person, and they made so much money that they uh, were a huge benefactor, donating tons of money to build a whole bunch of uh, uh, libraries and whatnot. Uh, so in this game, you are trying to model that. You are trying to recruit and manage employees. You're expanding your business. You're investing in real estate, producing goods. You are creating transport chains, and you will also hypothetically become so illustrious that you can be a benefactor, which will help the greatness of your country. Uh, all of these things are going to give you victory points, and you want to have the most points at the end of the game, but I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of curious about it. I, I, like I said, I like the publisher. I like the artist and I like the designer. Currently there are no images on board game geek, but it does say that as far as mechanisms are concerned, there are like 15 of them listed, <laughs> but it does say like area movement connections. Um, and let's see, let's click through on this. Um, we have other things like income, group movement, a square grid, there's tech trees apparently, variable phase order. They've got a lot of stuff listed down here under mechanics. So yeah, I'm interested to learn more. Um, I'm not sure if this one's going to rope me in enough to uh, be very excited to play it, but it seems like it's got enough going on for me to be uh, curious to see how all of these ideas are going to come together in the game. All right, we can now move on to Corsica. Now, this says you can relive 2,000 years of history on a Mediterranean French island. Now, this is listed as a civilization-style war game, and I'm not generally a war game person, so this is not a game that I think I will ever want to run out and play, but I'm interested enough in it to uh, subscribe to it on BoardGameGeek, along with, looks like, three other people, <laughs> and learn more about how it works. Now, uh, in this game, it says, uh, over a typical game, you play through 16 rounds where players will take uh, command of different nations that invaded or partially and uh, fully controlled the island between 556 BC, when the ancient Greeks first settled the spot, um, all the way to 1796, when the island finally fell under French control. So that is just a massive amount of time for such a tiny uh, geographic scale. It's just this tiny little island. It's not a civilization game uh, covering all of Europe or all of the world like so many of them do. So I'm intrigued. I I'd like to learn more about the mechanics of how this works. Again, it looks rather wargamey, which isn't surprised. It's listed as a war game, so it's probably not going to end up being uh, something that I want to play. But I think uh, the idea is interesting and it stuck out enough for me to want to learn more. All right, let's move on to Cosmic Colonies. Uh, now, this one was on Kickstarter recently this year, and uh, I actually learned about this game because I made a uh, top 10 list last month about my favorite polyomino games. Uh, now, I had not heard of Cosmic Colonies up to this point, but somebody commented in that uh, video that I should check this one out because they really liked it as far as a polyomino game is concerned. So I have done that, and there's tons of information on BoardGameGeek about it right now. Uh, the publisher is Floodgate Games, and they've made some great stuff like Bosk and Sagrada, and the designer is Scott Olms, who has done all of the Tiny Epic games and many other games. Uh, now, in this game, it is a polyomino-style game where you are essentially mining asteroids, it seems like, and I, I think every player has their own uh, different asteroid they're mining by placing polyomino tiles onto that 
spot. Now, um, in the game, you are actually doing your actions based off a hand of cards, which is a pretty neat idea because it feels like hand drafting at the start. I believe you have four cards in your hand and you're going to choose two of those to do those actions and then you set the other two aside. After you have all done your actions, you then pass the cards you used to the person to your left, and then you take the cards from the person to your left, uh, or to your right, I guess, and then you add those to the cards you did not play. So that means you are never, the cards are never leaving the system, they're kind of in a ecosystem of cards, and the good cards will potentially move, but I, I'm assuming they're all good at various points, but you can't obviously hoard something, and if you play a really good card for this particular moment, you are then going to give it to your opponent to then potentially play it on the next turn. Um, now it also has this idea where there are are numbers where the lower the number on the card, the sooner you get to take an action, but the higher the number on the card, the more powerful the effect is. So um, I like that kind of idea in games in general. And there is, I believe, a race aspect to this game as you are trying to uh, pick up uh, various tiles from a uh, market that is depleting as you play. So the sooner you get into that market, uh, the cheaper you can actually build these polyominoes onto your board. And uh, it seems like you're just trying to cover up as many things on your board as you can to get as many points as you can. And I think there are also some, some uh, variable uh, uh, conditional uh, victory point things for you. So it looks pretty neat. Uh, it's honestly a game I think I'd like to play. I quite like polyomino games, and it was, again, recommended in that uh, um, uh, top 10 list. So yeah, uh, my interest is there, and hopefully I'll have a chance to play this one someday. Uh, moving on, we have Curious Cargo. Now, this is a new game from Capstone Games, and the designer is Ryan Courtney, who designed Pipeline. Now, Pipeline was a, well, I guess is, <laughs> a uh, heavyweight game of uh, buying low, selling high, and then it also had this uh, spatial puzzle with tiles where you were pushing uh, oil through various different colored tile pipelines. Um, I liked the spatial part of the game a lot more than I liked the rest of that game. The game was fine, it's just not particularly my cup of tea, but this game appears to be a distillation of the pipeline spatial ideas into a two-player only game that plays in 30 to 60 minutes. Um, now that had my interest very peaked because again, I really liked the pipeline aspect as you're trying to push various things through these uh, pipes. Now in this game, it is not oil, it's Curious Cargo, which whatever that ends up being, they haven't actually published the rules to this one yet, but it is currently up for pre-order and I, I, I want to play this game, so I actually backed the pre-order already. I have a, a working relationship with Capstone Games, but I don't necessarily get all of their games, and I wanted to make sure to have uh, this one come in. So I did pre-order this one, so I should be getting a copy once those pre-orders are fulfilled. And I just, I'm captivated by the idea. Again, I love that spatial puzzle idea. And while I don't actually play two-player-only games all that often, I respect two-player games in a lot of ways because they don't have to worry about designing for different player accounts. They are only a two-player game, so you can really refine all of the ideas to work perfectly at that player count. And um, yeah, I just respect that design ethos to a certain extent. So uh, this one is one I'll be getting a chance to play at some point soon. I think in a couple months is when the pre-orders are going to go out for that one. And yeah, I liked it enough to actually uh, put in that pre-order. All right, let's now move on to Flourish. This one is designed by James Wilson, and I believe he's the one who designed Everdell. Yes, yes, that's the only... Oh, no, there are a lot of other games on BoardGameGeek. Um, oh, it looks like they're all Everdell things. Anyway, <laughs> in Flourish, uh, this is a beautiful card-drafting garden-building game in which players plan and build the garden of their dreams over the course of a growing season. Um, now, it says it plays one to seven players in 20 to 60 minutes, so it's not a terribly heavyweight game overall. Uh, it says that this is an easy-to-learn game that offers competitive strategy and cooperative game modes 
and a one to seven uh, player count, which provides a high level of accessibility. Um, now they don't have really any other information. There is one forum post with a little bit of stuff in it, but there's no images on uh, BoardGameGeek yet, but I'm quite interested in this one. I think that seems like a lovely theme. I'd like to learn more. Um, I actually didn't realize it had cooperative game modes until I just read that a few seconds ago. Um, it, it's sometimes interesting seeing games with competitive modes and cooperative modes. Sometimes that just does not work well into one cohesive uh, rule set, and sometimes it does. So uh, I guess I am even more intrigued now that I know that, but also maybe a little bit more reticent. Either way, I'm sure more information will come out onto BoardGameGeek soon, and I look forward to reading about it. All right, moving on, we have Indus 2500 BCE. It says you build the Indus Valley civilization through flip and write. Um, now this game looks pretty neat. Again, flip and write is similar to roll and write in a lot of ways. In this case, you are flipping cards instead of rolling dice. And um, I currently really like that type of game. So I was already uh, immediately interested in learning more about this. Now it's a first time designer. And they have a bunch of images on BGG already, and it says that this is a flip and write game where on each turn, players either pick a terrain card from the market and draw that pattern as shown, including walls to protect yourself against calamities, or they uh, can reserve resources to then build advanced buildings. Uh, now, it says it's a 30 to 60 minutes game for 1 to 99 players, which obviously implies this is the type of game where there is a no direct player interaction between the players so everybody can kind of work off the same ideas. And one big reason I, uh, I'm interested in this game is because it looks like you're kind of drawing out a map um, not too dissimilar from uh, Cartographers, which is one of my favorite roll and write games at this moment. Uh, so um, I'm instantly interested in that uh, aspect of the game and I, I like polyominoes going down onto grids as well. So yeah, I, I'd like to learn more about this one. Um, it does seem like there is um, a little bit of randomness coming in because you are going to keep playing until uh, I think two calamities happen and they can definitely mess up your plans unless you built walls. So it seems like it's the kind of game where you are trying to plan for the worst and hope for the best. And um, I don't know any more details uh, to this game at this point, uh, but I would certainly like to learn more about this one. And just from what I see on BoardGameGeek alone, this seems like the kind of game that I already want to play. All right, let's move on to Lost Ruins of Arnak. It says you explore an island and find the resources needed to discover the Lost Ruins of Arnak. Now, this one is being uh, published by Czech Games Edition, which is one of the main reasons I'm interested in it. Um, the designers appear to be first-time designers, at least as far as what uh, BoardGameGeek has listed. And there's not a ton of information on BGG right now. It says it's a deck uh, bag or pool building style game with work placement. Um, oh yes, that's right. I read through all these games before I do these vlogs and I kind of forget um, what makes each one different. But yes, this game uh, does talk in the description about a neat idea where there is um, uh, deck building, but then you worker place onto some of those cards they don't have images of what this all looks like, and maybe I'm misunderstanding that, but it does seem like integrating worker placement into deck building could be a pretty interesting idea. Um, it says that the decks are small and randomness in the game is heavily mitigated by the wealth of tactical decisions offered by the game board uh, with a variety of worker actions, artifacts, and equipment cards. Uh, the setup for each game will be unique, encouraging players to explore new strategies and uh, to meet the challenge. So yeah, I, I'd like to learn more. I'd, I certainly am looking forward to seeing uh, images of what this game looks like. They have a whole bunch of artists listed uh, for this game, so it looks like there's a lot going on there. It definitely has a kind of uh, Treasure Hunters on an Island vibe going on, especially with the uh, box cover on BGG, and this one could be really cool. Uh, looking forward to learning more in particular about the uh, deck building worker placement integration. That, that does seem like uh, there could be some new stuff there. 
All right, moving on, we have Machi. This says uh, you need to get your pawns to the center in a classic Moroccan style. Uh, now, the main reason this one jumped out to me is because I just like the way it looks. <laughs> uh, I oftentimes jug, judge games by uh, their cover and by what they look like. And when I saw this one, I just instantly uh, clicked on the subscribe button. Um, now, this is uh, currently not listed with a designer or a publisher. I guess it says the game is by Kyle Davis on this image right here. And this seems like a very simple abstract style game. Uh, it's a two-player only game, 15 to 30 minutes. And I'm not sure how much I actually want to play the game beyond just something about it uh, being alluring to me. Um, in this game, the way it works is you are going to roll dice on your turn and then you will place or move pawns. And you place the pawns on the outside and then you move them towards the center and you want to be the first one, I think, to have three of your pawns in the center. Now, the spots on the hexagons show pip values between uh, one to six on the outsides and then I believe um, seven to 14 or something like that in the center one. And you are simply rolling the dice and like if you have a six on your die, then you can place onto a six or you can move onto a six. But then there's also combat where you can bump somebody else's pawn off dependent on how your uh, the dice value works out with where they are at or where you are at. So it has an abstract uh, style right there. But then it also has a balancing mechanism where the more pawns your opponent has in the center, which is how you win, the more dice you get to roll to try and catch back up again. Now, it does seem like you're rolling a whole bunch of dice and moving uh, little pegs around onto numbered spots, which again, I'm not sure how compelling that actually is, but Something about it made me want to click on it and learn more, and now I have. Uh, there is a video on BoardGameGeek that teaches how the game plays. So, uh, yeah, um, who knows? Maybe this is a game I'll try at some point just because it uh, wanders across my uh, uh, gameplay uh, area, but uh, I don't think I'm going to necessarily rush out to try and get a copy of this one. All right, next up we have Mercado de Lisboa. Now, this one is designed by Vitala Cerda and uh, Julian Pombo, and it says down here that this is effectively a streamlined version of one part of Lisboa, which is a game that Vitala Cerda published or designed and had published a few years ago. Uh, it says that Mercado de Lisboa is a thinky uh, filler title, a tile placement game based upon the Lisboa city building system in which players pay money to own stands in the market and then you open up restaurants next to them to improve their profits and you bring in customers that earn money for players with matching stands. It's a fast-paced game, very straightforward and uh, has easy to learn rules. Now, currently they haven't posted the rules, I believe, to Board Game Geek. Um, I actually have a friend who is part of the uh, playtesting community for uh, Vitala Serta, and he's played this game a whole bunch, um, and he has very good things to say about it. Um, I have yet to actually learn more about it or play it, but I'm quite intrigued. Um, I liked um, Lisboa enough to play it a few times. It, ultimately, I did get rid of my copy, but I, I quite liked the city building aspect to that game. It was just one part of a much bigger game. So the idea of having a honed in design on just that part of the game and then really being able to explore that space um, makes me quite curious. And uh, the fact that this one does play more than uh, two players, it's not like this is a two player only type game, it plays up to four players. And uh, according to my friend, it really does play in like 45 minutes or less. Well, I'm super intrigued. So this is one I am uh, looking forward to having a chance to play. And I am definitely going to try and make that happen. Moving on, we have Night Market. It says, eager and hungry customers follow these smells to their source and find a treasure. <laughs> now, this is being published by Talent Strikes Studios, who have published a few things in the past. And uh, essentially... This is a night market and you are a business owner trying to capitalize uh, on um, various people wandering through wanting to eat fun foods. Um, it seems like uh, you're trying to maybe make exotic style foods, try to accommodate your customers, and all that seems fine. 
The reason that this one uh, became one that I decided to subscribe to is because down here it says that Night Market uh, is a, it couples a spatial worker placement mechanism with challenging resource management to maintain customer loyalty uh, resulting in sales. Now, right now, I am a bit of a sucker for spatial worker placement systems. Um, I kind of started with Little Town, which I really liked, and um, I think that it's a pretty cool space for worker placement to be uh, developed even more. The idea of the actual locations like within a grid or something like that. It's not just isolated locations that you're going to to perform actions. Um, in Little Town, the, the areas that you could go to changed in what their impact was based off of what you did in the game. I have no idea how uh, similar this is to Little Town, but um, that alone uh, saying spatial worker placement mechanism was enough for me to subscribe to try and learn more about this one as more information comes out. Currently, there are no images on board game at all. It is listed as a 2021 game, so um, it's pretty early, I guess, in the overall uh, uh, publishing cycle for the game. So yeah, looking forward to learning more about that. Moving on, we have Oi Mayakon, <laughs> and this one says, Russian families uh, are working to live a winter in the best conditions. Now, specifically, the reason this one is one I'm following is because, uh, oh, it looks like I'm the only person subscribed to it on BGG right now, uh, is because of the theme. Uh, it says, this is a semi-cooperative game where we all assume the role of a family in this town, which is the coldest inhabited city in the world. The purpose of this game is to survive low temperatures and to be uh, the family that has lived a winter in the best possible conditions, accumulating more and better resources um, in this awful uh, environment. Um, now, there are some images of what the game looks like. It has very minimal art. I don't know if this is prototype art or not. Um, it's definitely not in English. Um, I'm not positive what uh, language that is, and I don't know if it will ever actually um, uh, be published in English. But I don't know, the idea of a semi-cooperative game trying to survive the coldest inhabited town in the world I don't know, it just appealed to me in a way that made me want to learn a little bit more about it. Um, I, I guess it's specifically saying the winter of 1926, so that will probably uh, dictate some of the technologies that you could have to try and uh, uh, make it through the overall winter. And it does say it's semi-cooperative, which is a type of game I'm not usually crazy about, but I'm always intrigued by. So this is certainly one of those games where I kind of doubt I'll ever play it, but I just want to learn more. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to as more is posted up onto BoardGameGeek about it. All right, moving on, we have Pandoria Merchants. Now, this says it re-implements Pandoria, and it does because this is a roll-and-write version of Pandoria. Now, I've talked about Pandoria a bit on the channel before. It just barely made my top 10 games of... 2019, I think it was. It's hard to keep track of years at this point. Um, but Pandoria was a funky game where you place down dual hex pieces uh, onto a communal board and you're trying to surround areas to get resources to then spend those resources to get stuff. Uh, now, this is a roll and write version of the game that actually has a free uh, print and play currently up on Board Game Geek. And um, in this game, you obviously don't have tiles anymore because it's a roll and write style game. Instead, you roll two dice, which will dictate the two halves of that um, dual hex that you're writing in. And then you just fill out the overall board. Um, there's a lot of Pandoria stuff in here. There, on your own player sheet, there's a series of, it looks like, 18 cards. And uh, you can buy those cards, and there are ways to deny those cards from your opponents. So there's definitely some interaction there, especially out on the main map. And I'm quite looking forward to playing this one. In fact, I am in the process of whipping together a mod for this on Tabletop Simulator. Um, it's a free put-and-play, so I just took all 
the resources they had from the print and play, and I shoved them into Tabletop Simulator because I do want to try this one. I liked Pandoria, so I am curious to see what the Roll and Write version will have in store for being similar and potentially being different. Um, so hopefully I'll have an opportunity to play that one soon uh, online anyway. Uh, and it looks like you could also just print these sheets out and play. Uh, from what I saw in the rules, um, it is definitely designed around the idea that you could play this over like a video chat surface, like like you wouldn't even need Tabletop Simulator. If I printed it out and you printed it out, we could play because there's like a little coordinate system that you could easily say what you're doing so you can match what your opponent is doing across the internet. I believe it also said they are going to be publishing a nicer version of this one later on in the year. Obviously the roll and write is very minimalistic because they're trying to conserve printer ink, uh, which I do appreciate. All right, let's now move on to Pendulum. Uh, this says, time is the most precious resource as you attempt to rule Dunya. Now, this is uh, being published by Stonemaier Games, and it is already, um, well, it's the number one game currently on the hotness. It looks like I am amongst almost a thousand people who are subscribed to it on BoardGameGeek. Uh, now, I'm curious about this game because I'm usually curious about what Stonemaier comes out with. Uh, their games are not always my favorite overall, but there are oftentimes some good ideas and the production quality is always amazing. Um, so in this game, it appears this is a real-time simultaneous action selection game where time is literally a resource. There are uh, sand timers in the game. Uh, now, I'm not sure the specifics. There are many forum posts as people are trying to piece together what they've learned through various tweets. I, I got kind of lost reading all that kind of stuff. I'm looking forward to maybe a video that is a little bit more succinct in explaining it or just the rules. Um, but it appears this is a worker placement style game where you have meeples out on a board and there are communal uh, um, uh, sand timers of uh, different lengths that then get flipped over to kind of dictate a pendulum, I think kind of swinging back and forth. Um, I do believe it's competitive and I'm not sure how that works with players maybe both trying to reach for the same timer at the same time. Um, it, it does say that it's trying not to be a frantic game. Uh, the designer mentioned that um, the, the, the started with them trying to eliminate analysis paralysis in like medium weight games. Uh, so they said, well, what if we made an actual timer uh, in the game? And I believe each round takes six minutes, but then within that round, it's portioned up with those sand timers. Uh, so yeah, uh, hypothetically, it's a game where you're maybe making plans and then waiting for the sand timer to go and then moving instead of frantically going crazy. Uh, but I'd like to learn more. And it sounds like a whole bunch of other people are also very interested in learning more about this game. Uh, all right, moving on, we have Pessoa. Now, this one is, once again, the only person subscribed to it on BoardGameGeek. Uh, this one is being published by Pythagoras Games, and the designer is Orlando Saw. And the big reason this one jumped out to me is the theme. Uh, so it says that Fernando, uh, Fernando Pessoa as, was one of the greatest poets of all time. Uh, Pessoa was a prolific writer, and not only under his own name, but he created approximately 75 other names that he wrote under. Um, he did not call them pseudonyms because he felt that some did not capture their true independent intellectual life and instead called them heteronyms. Now, in this game, you are playing as different versions of Fernando Pessoa writing poems. So you're all the same person. In fact, they have uh, what looks to be some prototype stuff, uh, prototype images, and the center of the board is kind of an outline of a man with a, with a, a, a hat on. And that's just a pretty wacky idea for a theme. <laughs> I, I'm intrigued to learn more. It looks like there might be individual player rondelles that you are working with. And in the game, you are doing various things to try and gain inspiration as you're traveling to physical spaces in Lisbon and the metaphysical space inside Pessoa's head. So it's a competitive game about being 
not really multiple personalities, but different uh, intellectual personalities of a prolific poet. And you know what? That's that's a theme I haven't heard of before. <laughs> so uh, I'm hoping to learn more about that one in the future. All right, moving on, we have Praga Kaput Regni. Uh, this says, you build the medieval city of Prague by choosing from six ever-changing actions. Now, this one is something I'm very excited about because the designer is Vladimir Suchi and it's being published by Delicious Games. Now, Delicious Games is, I believe, Vladimir Suchi and his wife publishing his games, essentially. Uh, so it's very uh, focused on the, the output that he can make. And one of their first games, in fact, their first game, I believe, published was Underwater Cities, which is one of my favorite games. Um, now, I don't believe this is necessarily at all similar to Underwater Cities, but that designer slash publisher um, uh, pedigree is enough for me to be very interested. Now, it says it's a 30 to 120 minute game that goes one to four players. So it seems like it might really vary based off of the uh, number of players in the game. And it says, in this game, players take on the role of wealthy citizens who are organizing various building projects in medieval Prague by expanding their wealth and joining in the construction they gain favor with the king. It says, you choose six actions from a game board with an action crane that uh, are always available, but which are weighted with a constantly shifting array of costs and benefits. Um, now, there are a bunch of images on BoardGameGeek already, and I don't really understand how these mechanics work just yet by looking at the images, but um, the Looks like there's some pretty cool stuff going on. There's uh, rondelles that appear that they can be modified. I'm not sure if those are individual player rondelles or not. Um, there are three-dimensional cardboard uh, areas that you can kind of build out that might be storage areas or they might be actually game-playing areas. Um, there appears to be hexagonal areas that you're building up. Um, the player boards themselves seem to have individual spinning wheels like cogs in a little uh, machine. There's just a lot to be intrigued about with this game. And it looks like there's a lot going on. So uh, I definitely uh, feel like uh, there's probably gonna be uh, a lot of details to to figure out with this one. Whereas Underwater Cities was actually a relatively streamlined rule set game considering it was on the heavy side of things. Uh, this one does seem to have a lot of different things going on. And I am actively looking forward to learning more about it because I've really liked the combination of Vladimir Suchi and Delicious Games in the past. It looks like I am not alone. There are over 500 people uh, on Board Game Geek who are also subscribed to this one and who also want to learn more. All right, let's move on to Sense and Sensibility. I learned about this one just earlier today, and it says this is an engine building and deconstruction game with variable scoring conditions. Now, that sounds like a very mechanical way of saying this is a game about hedgehogs running a flower shop. <laughs> and uh, right now, there aren't any images of it on Board Game Geek at the moment, but I am a sucker for cute themes and for unique themes and uh, hedgehogs running a flower shop that also has engine building and deconstruction as a mechanic. I'm not really sure what that means. Well, I'm very interested. Uh, there's only a couple paragraphs currently on Board Game Geek and there are no images. It's being published by Weird Draft Games and I think they've made some stuff that I've liked the look of before. Let's see. Uh, and when we look at Board Game Geek, they did, uh, oh, that's right, Fire in the Library. That was a really cool looking game. Uh, they have a whole bunch of games actually listed on Board Game Geek. So it seems like they've done quite a bit of things. Anyway, uh, this game looks really cute and I am looking forward to learning more about these flower shop hedgehogs and specifically their engine building. It does say it's listed as an economic game. All right, next up we have Starfall First Contact. Uh, now, this one is being self-published uh, hypothetically in 2020. Um, it's just me and a couple of people on Board Game Geek paying attention to this one. And um, the reason this one jumped out to me is because 
Well, it looks a lot like Targi. Uh, and now Targi is a two-player only game that I really like, where the idea of the game is you place workers on the perimeter of a grid, and then you do the action at the uh, uh, connection point between those workers if you kind of draw lines from them. Now, this game appears to have a space theme that also has a similar vibe to that, and if this game ends up being just a Targi ripoff, then I'm obviously not going to be interested in playing it at all. But if this game uses the Targi style of gameplay, but then tweaks it and modifies it in some new innovative ways, then I'm very interested in learning about it. It does say that uh, this uh, uses a grid-based worker placement system. Each round you place scouts on the border, and then where the two scouts intersect, it determines where you place your fleet. Uh, thematically, it says you and another commander are taking control of humanity's first deep space fleets, and your mission is to make first contact with whomever you find out there to begin diplomatic relationships. Uh, there's apparently a dangerous species that is roaming out there, slowly making its way towards Earth, and you're trying to make uh, alliances to try and defend the Earth. Um, now, oh... That's interesting. I did not notice this. It's listed as a cooperative game. Okay, well, Targi is definitely not a cooperative game, and obviously I should have done a little bit more homework here. Uh, so um, I I'm now more hopeful that this is not a Targi ripoff. It says it also has uh, deck bag slash pool building and variable player powers. So yeah, I I'm now much more interested in learning about how this works. I felt like that Targi action selection system was super cool, but it did not have any deck building, and it certainly wasn't cooperative. So uh, hopefully a lot more information is published onto BoardGameGeek about this one, because currently... There's very little going on out here. There's no images or anything, but this could be super cool. So uh, hopefully it does end up being <laughs> once more information comes out. Uh, moving on, we have Tasty Humans. Uh, now, this one uh, is similar to Cosmic uh, uh, Colonies that I talked about earlier because this one had a Kickstarter that came out already and it kind of didn't enter my radar at the time, but uh, it's a polyomino style game that was recommended to me on that top 10 polyomino vlog that I put out. Um, apparently, in this game, you play as a uh, mythical monster and you have defeated a whole bunch of pesky heroes and you're now just eating them. So the game game involves uh, your stomach managing the, the parts of heroes in your stomach, <laughs> which seems like a very strange theme, but I do like strange themes. Uh, apparently, as these uh, kind of polyomino-shaped hero bits fall into your stomach, they kind of break off. Like if they, if part of it hits a spot, but the other part's dangling, it kind of keeps falling down. And there are um, hypothetically... Um, uh, special pieces that can fall in and you keep playing, I think, until you just fill up your stomach and then you score based off of adjacencies of stuff inside your stomach. So it, it's a very strange theme, but it's also got some fun whimsical art going on and uh, yeah, being recommended by somebody on that Polyomino uh, Top 10 uh, made it a game that I am now interested in trying. There's uh, many videos about it online, uh, so quite a bit of information and I did I do think I watched Rado's run through of this one when it first hit Kickstarter and I thought it looked kind of neat, but not quite enough for me to like back the Kickstarter or anything. And now I am slightly more interested. All right, we can now move on to the Emerald Flame. Now, this one says uh, a strange comet, an extraordinary alchemist, and a mysterious elixir. Now, this is a one to four player game that says it takes 270 to 540 minutes, which is like four to nine hours. Now, this is actually more of an escape room type game, but it looks like it's, it leans more into being 
a long escape room puzzly type of experience. So instead of being like an hour long escape room, it's it's this long sequential puzzle story that's evolving as you're playing that I guess could take up to nine hours. Uh, now, I am pretty intrigued by this. Um, my wife, Jessica, and I quite enjoy escape room type games. Um, Jessica in particular loves puzzles and, uh, you know, like uh, logic puzzles and that kind of stuff. And this game has maps. It has tokens. It's got uh, gears that go within gears. It's got uh, puzzle pieces. It's got a whole bunch of things. And I'm pretty sure it actually has a hint-based system based off of the internet um, that is very granular in case you get uh, caught in any different way. So I am quite interested in this. It seems like it could be a fun time to sit down and uh, kind of work through over the course of many different play sessions. Um, it's uh, got some pretty good uh, feedback online. It seems like uh, some people have reviewed it very positively. So I am quite curious about that. Actually, if we look down here, it says that uh, there are installments and the installments take approximately one and a half to three hours to complete. Um, and there are obviously going to be several of them in the game. Uh, so yeah, this seems like a pretty cool package and it's one that I am definitely now interested in trying to get a copy of. All right, let's now move on to the next game, which is The Field of the Cloth of Gold. Now, this is a strange-looking game. It's a two-player-only game that supposedly takes about 20 minutes to play, and it is designed by Tom Russell and published by Hull and Spiel, which is, I believe, a company that he part runs. Uh, now, thematically, this game is all about a ludicrous party that was thrown between the kings of England and France in June of 1520, which um, was indeed 500 years ago. Uh, I guess it's July now, but it's effectively <laughs> close enough to the 500-year anniversary of this ludicrous party that did indeed happen. Um, apparently, in this party, the kings were just trying to strut and just, like, outspend each other, and by the end of it, the English king spent, like, a third of the gold that the kingdom had, or something ridiculous like that. Now, um, this is a lighter-style game. It does say it plays in 20 minutes, and there's not a bunch of information on BoardGameGeek, except for the fact that, well, A, there is an overview video, which I have watched, and B, it is actually available for order. Now, I can jump over to the website for it where they do have some images of what the game looks like. And mechanically, what you're doing in this game is you are placing your workers on these actions along the top and associated with just about every action is you giving something to your opponent. So you do this action and you give them a red token or a blue token or a gold token or something like that. And in general, all tokens are good dependent on different situations. So you are trying to give them things that are not as good as other things, and you want to give them good things at poorly timed uh, states, essentially. So if you have to give them something, you may as well give them the worst good thing that you can. And it's just a game about just giving each other back and forth competitively, and you're trying to make sets. Um, there's one spot where, that you can go to that will cause jousts, which will cause the jousting tokens to go away, which will break up sets. So I think you can be strategic about trying to force your opponent to score their jousting tokens and then not score for the full sets of things that you have. It seems like it has a very simple rule set, but uh, potentially a lot of really cool ideas going on. And it's one I'm, I'm pretty interested in. I've been contemplating putting in the order. It seemed like it was more like $45 once I put in, uh, once I accounted for shipping and taxes. And I haven't quite pulled the trigger on this one just yet. I'm quite intrigued, but I'm not sure if I'm close to $50 intrigued by it. But yeah, it, it does seem like it's uh, got a really cool theme. Um, yeah, I, I like the idea of competitively giving things to each other. And uh, hopefully it ends up being a cool game and and hopefully i have a chance to actually play this one at some point i might uh i might buckle and purchase this one we'll, we'll see how things go 
All right, we can now move on to the next game. And that one is Tichu Deluxe. <laughs> now, actually, this one is listed as a 2019 game, and it says you are working together with your teammate in this expanded edition of Tichu. Now, Tichu is probably my most played game ever. Uh, I have about 100 tracked plays, and I played it tens of times before I started tracking my plays back in 2010. So I obviously love Tichu. I think it's an amazing game, and my copy is very well-worn because I've played it a lot. And the idea of a deluxe version of Tichu, like owning a deluxe version... I'm intrigued by that. Like, Tichu is a game that I want to have around forever, even though I don't actually get it played all that often. And it says down here that um, uh, this one is being published by Korea Board Games uh, Co. And it includes Tichu and a Tichu Booster, which I don't know anything about, and features illustrations uh, from a specific type of Tichu. So as far as the collector part of my brain is concerned, I'm instantly interested in picking up a copy of this just to have like a funky different uh, version of Tichu. That sounds awesome. Like the game is amazing. I'm also kind of curious to see what this Tichu booster is, uh, considering this is a game I've probably played, you know, 130 times. I'm not sure how much I like the idea of like an expansion for it. It seems pretty amazing to me as it is. Uh, but either way, <laughs> this one popped up onto Board Game Geek uh, earlier today, I think, or at least I saw it uh, earlier today, and uh, I am instantly intrigued. It just seems like something that the collector in me would love to have a copy of. All right, we've reached the final game we'll be talking about today, and this one is Vela. Now, it says that you are miners that are going deep inside the earth to collect precious minerals, and you're trying to avoid dangers. Now, the main reason I'm interested in this game, uh, along with just a couple other people, is because they do have a couple images of what this game looks like, and it's a very compelling image. Uh, so it appears that we have a box with kind of a grid in it, or it's actually the box for the game, like the actual uh, underside of the box. And you are putting stacks of different tiles on top of each other in little towers. And there are different colored tiles, which I think will denote what type of things you might find there. And then you are mining down these stacks, but you're also building ladders and bridges from one stack to another in order to kind of bridge those gaps. So it, it's not only a game about just like digging down and revealing tiles to see what you found, but it also seems like it's a spatial game trying to dig down to certain levels uh, or even things out so you can throw a plank across to so the jump down and get even deeper because I am assuming that the uh, tiles down at the bottom uh, have better rewards, but also probably more dangers. Um, I'm not sure if this game will actually be my kind of fun. I I'm genuinely not sure, but I am a sucker for a cool game presentation, and this one just jumped right out at me when I saw the images. So I'm quite curious. Actually, they have one image that seems to show that it's not the bottom of the box, it's the actual box that kind of clamshells open entirely to make the gaming space. So that just seems super cool. Um, uh, now, I'm not sure if this game is available in English. Uh, it says on BGG it's being published by Galbs Games, which I'm not particularly familiar with overall, but I think that this looks to be a pretty cool game. There's a couple of videos on BGG right now that are both in Portuguese, so I'm assuming it's being published in Portuguese. Um, but from a Toy Factor perspective, I am very curious to learn more about this one. It just looks really neat. So yeah, I think it's time to wrap this podcast up. Thanks for listening. <laughs>